Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And it's time for a much-needed diversion for all of us. We are so happy and pleased to welcome Dan Brown to our show, the author of the brand-new book. His brand-new baby came out yesterday, Origin. Hi, Dan. Good morning. How is it to give birth to a book? Uh, you know, a little less painful uh, than giving birth to a human, I'm sure, but uh, it's a much longer process. This one was about four years. Yeah, and it was uh, last year at this time when your publishing house started to just talk about things that your fans love, like, oh, I don't know, cover art and, and thematics. Uh, this, this kind of work requires just so much thought, and I know that you have people in your life that have been instrumental in, in helping you, but when you were thinking of uh, the can you top this moment of origin, where did you start, and why did you decide to go into this direction of will God survive science, which, uh, quite frankly, is a very intriguing thought indeed. You know, I, I think it's the most important question of our time. I grew up uh, with a very—my mom was a very devout Christian. She was a church organist. My dad was a mathematics teacher. He wrote math textbooks. So I sort of had one foot in each world of science and religion. And uh, at some point, you know, asked a priest, uh, how do I justify these two? I've just learned about evolution, but I also heard about Adam and Eve. And this priest said, nice boys, don't ask that question. <laughs> and that was really the moment I started asking the question. And, and, and that is the question that, that it's uh, at the core of, of origin, this new novel, this new, new thriller that, that, that essentially looks at the explosion of technology and asks, what is that going to do to our faith? Honestly, and when I think about this, Dan, in in days of old, you know, people had a lifespan that was, what, 32 years or so, and they were satisfied sure. with that. We look at our lifespan today and we think, wow, 80, 90, 100, very satisfactory. But in the future, I always say we may look like the people in the covered wagon to the future. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, without a doubt. And, and, you know, futurists are not entirely in agreement on what what tomorrow will look like whether the technologies like artificial intelligence will save us or destroy us. But one thing they all agree on is what you just said, that the future is coming much faster than we think. And we sort of picture ourselves as being very modern. But, uh, you know, one generation from now, we will look like the ancients. And all you have to do now is look back a single generation to, to your parents to see people who grew up with none of the technologies that we take for granted today. And moving into that realm of uh, artificial intelligence, altered state reality, and, and quite frankly, I don't want that. How do you feel about that when, when we may move to a realm when the line now more, more than ever in the future will be blurred between what's real and fake? I mean, think about it. In the future, you could have a life that is filled with pleasure. Of course, it might not be real. Well, you know, uh, you're absolutely right. And, and the important thing to remember is that, you know, these, these are all personal questions for each of us. You know, we are not forced to, uh, right now, all the technologies that exist, are not, we're not forced to participate in them. 
Um, you know, it all depends on how we use these technologies. Uh, you know, there, there will be good and there will be bad. It's quite possible that artificial intelligence will help us solve problems on the world, on the earth, like, like scarcity or pollution or um, overpopulation. It's also, as you just said, very possible that it will create an alternate reality where we are uh, really interacting with the world in a much, much different way. Uh, you just mentioned living to 100. You know, who knows? It's possible someday we will be able to actually move our consciousnesses out of our bodies and, and live in a digitally conscious state uh, indefinitely. You know, who, who knows what the future holds? Yeah, then they're gonna we're gonna get Walt Disney back, right? I'm just maybe that's not a topic for today, but I think about him and what they say about him. But in, in this book, Origin, can you kind of lay out the arc for us and and tell us how how you decided that this is the direction that you wanted to go in, where you fuse all these things together because of the way you were raised with the 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 duality of. Uh, science and religion in your home. I mean, you seem like somebody that's been torn for a long time over these kinds of questions, and I know that plays into your work. Uh, it certainly does. I, I write these books to explore themes that are important to me personally uh, and to try to figure things out for myself personally. Uh, Origin starts with a, with a futurist who has made a scientific discovery that he believes will shake the foundations of world religion. Um, and, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, he feels he has scientific answers to questions, you know, like, where do we come from? Where are we going? You know, what are we doing here? And these are questions that traditionally religion has answered and uh, doesn't like science interloping into them. Uh, and, uh, you know, Robert Langdon is caught up in this, in this mystery, in this thriller, where he's just sort of uh, you know, trying, to, uh, trying to figure out what this discovery was. And uh, at the end of the novel, you find out what it was. And it's, a, and it's a whole lot of fun. And I know that when you do write, Dan, you have a, a, a great uh, fan base of people who can't wait for you to write these books. And then you have people who are so emotionally invested in these topics that they actually get mad at you. What does what, Do people write to you and, and say things to you based upon these books of fish, fiction that are almost beyond the pale? Um, yes. I mean, it, it, that happens quite often. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that controversy is a bad thing. I think that it, it sparks dialogue on important topics. And I've... Um, you know, this will sound naive, but when the Da Vinci Code came out, I had no idea it would be controversial. Um, I just asked the hypothetical question about Jesus, saying, what would it mean for Christianity if Jesus were not literally the Son of God? Um, and I sort of thought, like, well, that's a reasonable question to ask. <laughs> you know, there are people who are, as you say, so invested in their, in their faith or their ideologies, their philosophies, that when you challenge them, even in the form of sort of a, a fun you know, popcorn thriller. <laughs> These people can get pretty upset. Yeah, they can. In fact, I actually received a, a missive this morning from someone who who wanted me to grill you on your own faith. I mean, you're a guest on my radio show. I, I don't know if that's necessary for all my guests. Well, you know, I'm happy to talk about my own faith. I mean, I, I grew up um, deeply Christian. I mean, my, we were Episcopalians. My my mom was the church organist. She was the choir director. I sang in the choir. I was confirmed. I, you know, went actually went to Bible camp. I mean, I read the Bible. And um, at some point, I 
um, you know, started studying science. I went to the Boston Museum of Science and learned about evolution. And uh, we said, wait a minute, you know, where's Adam and Eve? And I went to a priest uh, and I said, hey, uh, I'm learning two different things. I'm learning about Genesis and the Big Bang. I'm learning about evolution and Adam and Eve. Which story is true? And this priest said, nice boys, don't mm-hmm. ask that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not the answer I needed to hear. And I started asking that question. And I, I really pursued science ever since and have started to realize that as you get deeper into science, it starts to come full circle and starts to look almost like philosophy and religion when you're really in the, in the, in the higher echelons of science. Not that I understand them, but I've certainly read uh, a lot about particle physics and uh, you know, understand that you know, some of the most religious people out there now are people who are studying science in a deep, deep realm. Um, I'll also just say, as far as, uh, you know, since we're talking about religion, that, that I'm not an anti-religious person in any way. I think that religion does an enormous amount of good in the world. I also think that it can be used uh, to our detriment, and that there are times when the banner of religion is, is waved as um, immunity from having to, to endure any kind of rational scrutiny. We're not allowed to question. And I think that's where religion falls down, this inability to question it. Yeah, and uh, of course, if you look at uh, some of the faith, and I look at Catholicism specifically, there were people in the faith who weren't immune to asking questions about faith, and quite frankly, they've been canonized as saints. So that that's the part where, you know, asking questions, having, um, uh, you know, a moment of crisis in your own life where you, you, you can't. It's happened before, and I think that it's it's almost unfair not to ask questions, although it does keep it easier for people if you shut up, right? Well, I mean, that, there's certainly if, you, if you're not sure enough about your ideas or if your own faith is, is uh, shaken by a novel, um, that's something that you should look at a little more carefully. Yeah, indeed. Now, when you, you put out books in the modern era, Dan, you, since you started writing, I, I bet when you started writing your first books, you could not have pictured the landscape of the publishing industry in this day and age, I bet uh, back in the day, uh, you didn't f- think about ebooks or you know bricks and mortar stores that are um, you know not as vibrant as they used to be, et cetera. Yeah. How has that changed at all the way that you live your life as as a prominent author? You know, it, it is interesting. The uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, when the Da Vinci Code came out, I I went on a tour across America and I visited, you know, countless wonderful bricks-and-mortar stores. You know, the Independents, the Barnes & Nobles, the Borders, I mean, that disappeared. Um, and now with the with the online retailing, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because authors are, of course, very happy to have international distribution digitally. Um, and the, the electronic era has been a real boon for unknown writers, that you don't have to wait to be published to distribute your material, you you can sit down, write a novel, create an ebook, and have global distribution of your material. And that's a wonderful thing for readers. It's a wonderful thing for writers, but it simultaneously is very very hard on traditional bookselling. And the traditional booksellers are the people who really they are passionate about books. And you can walk into your local bookstore, whatever it may be. 
and the owner or one of the salespeople can say, oh, hey, Dan, how are you? Great to see you. Uh, I know exactly what you like, and this new book just came in, and I can tell you you're going to love it. And that's sort of that personal experience that we're not getting anymore. You know, one of the arguments that I have, because I, I teach uh, at a local college with my students, is always about books versus movies and the notion, obviously, that books are not movies. And how does that feel for you, though? Do you care when you're writing anymore whether or not your book will be made into a movie? And do you act any differently as an author when you think about that? No. I. You know, it's. I mean, making movies has been great fun. I'm working with really interesting, wonderful people. Ron Howard and Tom Hanks are two very humble, hardworking, smart guys, and I'm honored to work with them. At the same time, I am a novelist. I write books, and I don't think in terms of movies. Uh, I think in terms of writing the best book I can possibly write. Well, I'm definitely going to pass that on to them because they, they debate wholeheartedly, and I have a lot of people that actually agree with you that when somebody sets out, they're not necessarily looking toward the future. They're looking toward the present. And in, in this day and age, what does your world look like now when you sit back and reflect a, upon finishing this? I mean, are, do you read the reviews of your books for, for fun or, 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 you know, insight, criticism? Do you care what people say? You know what? I mean, writers aren't supposed to care what people say, but of course, you know, when you're a creative person, you, you want everyone to love what you've done, whether you're a musician, a writer, a, a chef, it doesn't matter. You want people to love what you've done. Um, you know, Origin is out in 54 languages around the world, and there are literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of reviews that are being written. I don't have time to look at them all. The most important thing to me is that when I meet readers, that they say, oh, my God, I love this book. And that's really uh, just, in, I mean, the book's only been out, I think, 24 hours, but the, the few people I've talked to have been so enthusiastic. And that, to me, means, means everything. Dan Brown, what a pleasure. You're such a, an upbeat and uh, pleasant guy. And I didn't know, honestly, I didn't know what to expect because your, your books are so uh, intertwined with uh, academia and uh, science and religion. I was fearful, you know, that you would be <laughs> so over our heads. Well, you should know as a teacher, you know, you're a teacher. It's the most noble profession. And I, I uh, treasure teachers. My hero is a teacher. And so I'm, I'm grateful for all the work that you do in, in the field of education, too. Is, is that your dad that's your hero? Uh, yeah, actually, my, my dad and a whole lot of my favorite teachers along the way. Yeah, uh, name one uh, that's not your dad that you really admired, and give me a quality about that teacher that you'll never forget and made you the, the best person you could be in this day and age. <laughs> I, well, one teacher was Jack Heath. Uh, he was my ninth-grade English teacher at Exeter Academy. Uh, he said very, very little. Uh, but really, really taught me that language is about communication. It's not about showing off how many words you know uh, or putting in too many florid adjectives. It is about communicating. And so the best possible writer you can be is the writer that uses language to tell the story, not to uh, do sort of linguistic acrobatics. And I think you've proved that today in this interview, that you listened to that teacher very, very well. Dan Brown, author of Origin, what a great treat this was for us. Thank you so much. Thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.